Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Mikey! <laughs> Matt just nearly fell off his chair. You want to do that again? We were going to start with a joke, <laughs> but I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> so I think that will do. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Dr. Matt and <laughs> Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. This week, we are going to tell a joke about hearing, but Matt nearly fell off his chair, so let's just jump into it, shall we? Which really auditory open, system. Which really opens it well for the vestibular system. Oh. And my lack of balance. Very nice. It was, a, it was almost as though that was planned. Was it? No. <laughs> okay, so today we are covering what? Hearing? Hearing. Is that it? Yeah. Bit of vestibular function? A little bit. Okay, so we might go... It's all linked in together. All right. So, where, here. where do you want to begin? Well, I think we should begin with the fact that we know that we have two outer ears, right? Okay. That's the external part of the auditory system. Yeah. Uh, yours look funny, mine look normal, mm-hmm. but both of our ears have these uh, undulating shapes to them, right? So, you've got these curves... Shell-like. Shell-like, yeah. Shell-like appearance. Curves, bumps, dips, grooves. They sort of they're on the side, they're laterally, but they face a little bit forward. Okay. That's Uh, my first question to you. I'm gonna ask you questions all night. That's how this one's gonna go. Or just bombarding me with questions. All right, uh well, you've got these um shell like structures that are on the lateral side of your head and they are to partly the funnel sound into your ear canal. Um, but I believe the shape, the in- interesting shape to it, so you have kind of these two indented lines, which are the helixes, um, with this funny-looking... Um, protrude- the helix the top? If I were to feel the top of my ear, how it curves down, you can s- feel that it yeah, sort kind of, of folds y- over. You've got, the the you got the helix, and then you've got the anti-helix, which is kind of the next line inside that, running parallel to it. Yep. And then you've got the 
the thing right at the bottom, the protuberance at the bottom, which is the lobule, which is the, the most common place where it's where piercings I put my diamond would be. earrings. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got the other kind of protuberance, which is kind of coming more off the head, and that's the tragus. And then that's oh, yeah. kind of like the trapdoor, you know, in a way to your ear canal. And people also pierce the tragus as well. Mm. Okay. okay. And so but why is the ear shaped that particular way? Well, they probably would have thought initially that it was for just or completely just for funneling sound down into your ear canal. So it must be really good at taking... Uh, so remember that when we talk about sound, we're simply talking about uh, vibrations moving through the atmosphere. All right, so let's start there, because I think the important first point yep. is sound. So now I'm throwing a question to you. Okay. Well, sound is... Especially when we're talking about... Uh, well, okay. Sound is difficult because would you say that sound begins in the brain or and sounds a perception or would you say that sound begins with the vibrations throughout a medium? So, for example, for us, we live on land, in the atmosphere, air, vibrations through the air. I reckon some people would make arguments that sound doesn't begin until it's hit the auditory cortex and you've made sense of those vibrations. Well, it's, it's energy, isn't it? It's a displacement of matter. Uh, in a space. So, as you said, it could be in air or it could be in water. But that's not sound, though, right? Sound is a perception, isn't it? Well, it's a, it's a, you could arguably say it for everything, couldn't you? Anyway, let's True. just go with the notion of it's a displacement of energy uh, in waves. And then this waves... So, like, let's say you hit a drum, okay? So, you smack a drum with a drumstick and that particular diaphragm of the drum displace and moves air well you can't see it but it moves air if you were able to see it like um, throwing a rock into a pond yep. in these kind of ripple like effects right so they're waves they're sound you waves you might see on some of those ads where they have like paint on it on a speaker and they start playing the speaker and it starts to go in these wave like fashions yep. um, so that is essentially the energy and that's similar to what we spoke about last time with vision but in vision it goes in light waves, but this is in sound waves, and that's you have a height to it and you have a frequency to it. So you have the height of the wave. Which is the wi amplitude. Right, and that gives you the power of it, and so that's like the decibels. And then you have how the distance between each wave. So the peak of each wave. Oh, is just the, the gap between each one. Yeah, so it does well, peak to peak is a frequent is is one is one oh, right. frequency right yeah okay um and you can have okay, so what one point of one cycle to the next that's right one cycle and the thing is that we measure often measure sound in hertz okay right. and so hertz simply is how many cycles per second which is mm -hmm. from one peak as an example one peak of a wave to another wave is one cycle mm. right how many of those peaks basically do you get per second and the more peaks per second, the higher the frequency, which is the higher the pitch. So, so ee! how's that for a good one? That's a higher pitch, higher frequency. Ooh, that's lower pitch, lower frequency. Right. So pitch and frequencies, or well, a lower pitch is a lower frequency. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Pitch frequency, kind of interchangeable terms. Yep. Okay. Um, well, we perceive frequency as pitch. That's that's the thing. Okay. So frequency is simply the 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 waves in the media going through the medium. We perceive it as a pitch, whereas it's high or low, simply because we've evolved to 
make sense of that frequency as a particular pitch. Right. Okay. Right. So there's no, there's nothing out there that says that all organisms hear that frequency the way we hear it. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. And we know that with dogs, for example. Okay. And so with that, we're so I think we've got a good definition now of what sound is as an energy and waves, height and frequency of them which have different kind of parameters, different kind of qualities and it. has to, to move it. through a medium, right? Yeah. So air is the medium so that we So it's displacing molecules in air, which we can't really see. Probably see it better in water, potentially. Um, now, why do we have this sense? So well, okay, good question. I thought I was going to be asking you the questions. <laughs> why do we have the sense of sound? Well, I assume it's to be able to identify what's happening around us. Yeah. So it can tell us a lot of things. It can tell us when there's potential danger. It can tell us when we're potentially looking for food. And I guess the other one was looking for a mate, possibly. Mm. Um, so it gives us a good indication of everything that's happening around us, probably even better than um, vision in a way, because vision is in a certain direction, whereas sound is um, in every aspect of our environment, in all different directions, mm. um, from a far distance to a close distance. And that can warn us or direct us in a certain manner now so i think the hearing is a very important sense i think it would come very early um evolutionarily yeah um now the sense itself because it's picking up waves or a displacement of matter it will be essentially uh, sensed by a mechanoreceptor Okay. okay, but before we get there, I think it would be good for the audience to be able to know that. Since we're talking about frequencies, mm. and that that's what would pick up displacement of molecules in the atmosphere, uh, and that ha has particular frequencies, that the frequency range that human beings can hear in are between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. Okay. Okay, so what that means is uh, 20 cycles in a second, yep, yep. between 20,000 cycles in a second. That's our range. But usually through normal conversation, daily, uh, you know, hearing like, on a daily like, basis. Like this right now? Like this right now. You're hearing at a probably around about 3,000 hertz. Right that's, now. That's a commonplace uh, hertz to, you know, so frequency good, to listen good to. good medium. Good, well, yeah. Now, other animals are different. If we look at even just mammals, right, what you'll find is that dolphins and bats, they can go all the way up to 100 thousand hertz right. even 200,000 hertz mm. right, remember I said the max for us 20,000 hertz elephants right. can go as far down as 14 hertz okay that's a little lower it's a than low us. frequency and whales so they got big ears for nothing then well <laughs> uh, maybe uh, I reckon their ears are more for uh, show not show not so much for hearing uh, entertainment <laughs> no more as non-verbals Gotcha. So, like, if like you a peacock's a tail feather, potentially. Well, if you like, when I, I was sexually selected, when I was in Africa, you you could tell the behaviour of the anim of the the um, the elephant by its ears, and you know if it's going to attack you, which luckily didn't happen to me. Like when um, your ears flare, I need to would, keep away. Yeah, flare out, and you know, certain other things will happen. But I don't know if that's the reason it's been conserved. But it's got quite long, large ears, isn't it? So whales can hear down to seven hertz. Okay. Right. Uh, so these are all mammals, right? And we know whales, they're living in the medium of water and that's going to produce sound waves a little bit differently to the way we produce sound waves up on land. They've lost their pinia though. 
Which is the outer ear. Yeah. So yeah. they, all mammals developed it, evolved it, and they secondarily lost it. Mm. Same as moles. What you call me? <laughs> they, so they lost it again. But they have still all the other apparatuses that we have, uh, which we can explain in a bit Okay, so are we going to talk about the fact that the ear has external... Well, if you're going to talk about frequencies and you're going to give all these amazing animals, well, <laughs> I'm going to ask this no, question No, I think we're you. done with the animals, actually. I don't Which think one has the highest frequency of mm. sound? Um, bats, I assume. No, higher. Producing or hearing? Hearing. Frequency. Not bats or dolphins or whales? No, I don't think whales go that high. What do, what, what, what do whales go up to? They can get up to 50 to 100,000. Okay. Dolphins can go up to 200,000. Wow, that's pretty high. Yeah. Um, well, what, what's... Oh, uh, what is it? What is the prey of a bat? So what is a bat, one of the things a bat goes after? It's a vampire bat and it's people. Okay. Do they go after people? Oh, in the movies they do. They see infrared and they can see your blood and your blood vessels. What? That was like last week. But they, yeah, they can see infrared so they can actually fly in and actually see the animal's blood system because Jesus. of the heat. Mm, anyway. Um, can they hear it? Could be a good question. All right, so, uh, so what animal is it? A moth. Oh. So a moth has the highest frequency out of any animal, known at least. Really? It's, a, it's above 300,000. And it's really three hundred thousand. Yeah. That is insane. And it's because it's an invertebrate. Obviously, it's got um, one of the most simple ears. So it's just basically got just an eardrum, just like a, a flap with just hair neurons attached to it directly. Wow! So nothing but gets dampened, basically. Yeah. So it's very sensitive. But um, what they can do, which is quite interesting, they can modify their frequencies. So they can. They're almost like the. Um, the old radio systems with the knobs that oh you yeah. the tune. Yeah. So they can tune the ultrasonic because the bats are shooting wow. ultrasonics out. Wow. And so they can tune it to because then the bats can change their frequency. So the moth can then change and fo hear the bats come in. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course, because they're using echolocation. Yeah. Bats, are f bats aren't just hearing these sounds. They're producing these sounds because it bounces off an Things. object yeah. and gets back to the bat and they create this image of the environment through sound. Yeah. And so if the moth can be attuned to it, it knows that a, where the bat is and can yeah. move away from that echolocation. That's pretty cool. Mm. And, so, and, and then the other amazing thing that these moths do, I think it's a particular moth, um, I think it's called a wax moth, it can actually um, echolocate with just one ear. Wow. So all other animals need two ears to echolocate to, in reference to each other, know where the sounds coming from. But this can do it with one, just one. Yeah. My God, so it's pretty amazing. So if you want to hear, or understand what we're talking about by these frequencies, you can just go onto YouTube and just type in uh, sound frequency hearing test, for example, or hearing test. And what it will do is it will play, beginning at a low frequency. I think it begins at about zero hertz to one hertz and then it goes up slowly as the hertz increase and then it continues up and you'll hear the, the <laughs> that was very good so that's basically what you can hear as these frequencies go up and that's what we're listening to so you got the frequencies which we determine as pitch and then we've got the amplitude which is the volume which is de in measured in decibels mm. that's the volume mm. okay 
Shall we move on to external, middle, and inner ear? And, and well, I, travel I think through we there. start with a, a basic principle. Which is? Um, well, it's just what the, the, the fundamental um, receptor that's working in this whole system. And it's just essentially little hair cells um, that pick up a mechanical displacement. And okay, so I think a good way to be able to explain is that if you were to say that you could break the ear up into three compartments. The outer ear, which is basically the pinna, which is the ear and the uh, external ac acoustic meters, which is the ear canal. Mm. Right? Then that hits a wall, and that wall's the eardrum. Mm. That's the start of the middle ear. The eardrum is then connected to three bones in the middle ear, and the third bone is then connected to the inner ear. Mm -hmm. And what that third bone does is it displaces liquid, fluid, and then that fluid displaces hair cells. Right. So you go from an acoustic sound, right? And a, uh, and, uh, so vibrations within air going through the outer ear. Yep. It hits the eardrum yep. and turns it into mechanical energy, which displaces the three bones. So through it goes into bones now, right? So this mechanical energy, the third bone then displaces water, so hydraulic energy. Yeah. And then that water movement displaces hair called stereocilia. Yeah. And this hair creates an electrical signal. Right. So you go from acoustic to mechanical to hydraulic to electrical energy. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And the big point to make there is because we've really evolved to be in water we started off in water the, the middle of your inner ear is still in the water or true still, it's still in the fluid that's true and so when we came out of the water so when once the animals moved out of the water into amphibians and then reptiles and birds and then mammals um, we had to change somehow somehow get the energy from the air back into water because our inner, inner ear is still in a, it's in a kind of tub of water and that's essentially the cochlea but it's in like all these hair cells essentially have evolved which w which you've mentioned as the stereocilia is mm -hmm. that what you said yep so they're just like little just finger sound hair they're just like little finger projections mm -hmm. but they're all sitting in a bowl of jello okay so just imagine you have made a big bowl of jelly and you stuck your fingers into it from the bottom and then you've um, just kind of sit in the bowl of jelly into it. What the bowl of jelly can do pretty well is pick up any movement. Kind of like Jurassic Park, you know, when the yeah, T-Rex is moving and the water moves, yeah. Right. So this is essentially how it's all evolved. Okay, it's just very simple. From Jurassic Park. Okay, you can <laughs> go with that. So basically it's just these little small little hair cells that are projected up into this jelly-like substance and that the base of the hair cells are, are a neuron which is going to take the electrical activity but somehow you've got to dis displace those little finger projections and the way it's displaced is the movement on the jelly. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So but we'll get to that. But I think the way because what's the way that the ears evolved it's evolved out of the vestibular system which is? That's your um, balance center in your ear. Okay. And even before that, it's evolved out of a special um, line system. It's called a lateral line, which runs up and down the side 
of the all the animals in the water. So all we're talking about. So all the animals that are in the water. Let's just go with say fish. Okay, running up the on each side of their body is this is this apparatus called the lateral line. Okay, and they have just these little microscopic holes in their skin, which have these bowls of jelly in them, which have those finger projections, which goes into a ner- nerve, which then goes to their brain. So it goes the whole length of their body. Whole length of the body. So basically, they've got a cochlea running the length of their body. Kind of. An inner ear that runs the length of their body. Kind of. But remember, it's not the fish aren't hearing anymore. or th- They did never developed a hearing sense. They are just feeling vibration. But so are we. Right. Anyway, let's keep evolving from here. So these fish, or everything in the water, have these line of jellies running, bowls of jelly with hairs in them, all the way down the body. Okay? So anything that will displace water, they'll feel it. So they can feel the direction of the water current. They can feel the, the way that they're moving. And then they can feel if there's anything near them based on the way that the water is reflected against their body. So fish could be right at the bottom depths of the ocean, have no light there, so they can't see light at all, but they can move around and know where they're going because of these sensors. Because the way that they move their tail and so forth, they can feel water getting pushed away. Then if there's a, uh, a rock or they're in a cave, it comes back and hits them and they know that something's closed. So this is very accurate. Or if they're more at the top of the water, they can tell when an insect falls onto the top of the water and starts to move because they can feel the ripples going through and they can pick it up in this lateral line. Okay, And this gives them a whole sense of awareness of what's happening in that whole body of water. So what, it's comparable to the bat's echolocation? Somewhat. And then sharks do it, as in this is one of the ways that they feed. They, f- they sense uh, fishes, fish that are in danger or fighting and they can go after it and then eat it. Now, what's come out of that is the next step, which is the vestibular system, which is the balance center. Okay, So this is the center in your ear, in the ear, that tells your body um, what your body is doing in space. Okay, so this is telling you if your head's going forward, back, side to side, if you're um, accelerating, decelerating, so forth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So same thing, same bowl of jelly, but it just develops a bit more specialized in the fish. Okay, a bit more specialized, and that helps the fish know um, to stay upright because you want to, as a fish, you want to be sitting upright so you can swim in a nice fashion. You don't want to be bobbing either side. So that will tell the body what it's doing. And that's our balance center. So that's the first thing that to d- develop is your vestibular system, which is your balance center. Now the cochlea comes out of that. All right, so let's not talk about it because you've jumped ahead because we've got to talk about outer ear, the middle ear, and then we'll get to cochlea. Okay. So don't talk about it yet because we, we haven't spoken about how the signal gets sent to the cochlea. And I think we need to talk about how it transmits through. Just so people have a nice image of, I speak a word to you, and then it goes into your ear and where it goes from there. What do you think? Sure. But the, the, the last step I'll say <laughs> is because once we come out of, wa- out of the water, because essentially everything that goes, all the vibrations that's in the water is intimate with the body of the animal. So the tissue has the same qualities as water. So it doesn't need hearing like we have hearing. Mm. It just feels, it senses what's around it 
by those ripples because it goes right into the body and and kind of it must really feel one with its environment that's right now once things moved out of the water now we go into a different medium we go into air Mm. right so even though the inner ear the cochlea still is sitting in a bowl of water with all those hairs and jelly okay the air has a different medium now to get that same energy to the cochlea we need to devise a whole lot of different strategies because there's a different impedance values between an air and a water value so what do you mean by impedance well um, I guess the resistance against the displacement of the um, the molecules so if you were again to hit the drum um, with a drumstick it would have a certain quality of movement through the air which would be different to put the same energy yeah. into the Water's water. Mo- water is more dense, more viscous than air. Therefore, yeah. more energy needs to be right. applied to it to get across the same vibration. Yeah, perfect. And so, I think that's a, that's a really good point to make, actually, that once getting out of the water, evolutionarily, not just after a swim, we need to evolve a system that can deal with the air medium and then turn it to the liquid medium. Yeah. Uh, which is exactly what we've got. But in actual fact, strangely enough, whales, for example, had to deal with a hearing system, an auditory system, that was originally land-based. So, so they air. went water, air, back in the water. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Which is odd. But anyway, okay, so let's just say I displace the air by saying a word I say, Matty boy. Right? Now, what I've done is using the energy of force coming from my respiratory system. I've displaced the molecules in the air. Through your vocal cords? Through my vocal cords. Which are like a guitar string. Which are travelling through the air at a particular frequency. Yeah. And this frequency is travelling in all directions. You're in a particular direction. Your pinna, which is your ear, picks it up, funnels that sound into your uh, ear canal, and it goes in and hits, so that's your outer inner ear, sorry, your outer ear, and hits your eardrum known as the tympanic membrane. Right. And so, because you're on my right-hand side, your voice is going to hit my right pinia before my left. Yes. How fast does sound travel, Matt? Uh, How good are you? 1,100 metres per second? No. 300 metres a second. No. 300? 300 metres a second? No. Yeah. Oh, a sec... No, isn't it... That's 300 metres a second. 1,100 metres a second. That's probably sound. It's probably 1,100 feet a second you're thinking about. No, I'm pretty sure it's metres. Because a Concorde, once you go above 1,000 kilometres, you're approaching the sound barrier. No, it's 343 metres per second, which is 1,100 feet per second. Which is 1,100-ish kilometres an hour. That's what I was thinking, kilometres per hour. There we go. Okay. So, 300 yeah. metres a second sound. What's, what's, how do, what's light? Do you remember what light, how fast light travels? 100 and... <laughs> no, don't want to remember. 50... <laughs> no, no. Something metres a second. <laughs> what? Thousand, Slower. 150,000 metres a second. You're way off. What is it? 300,000 kilometres a second. Oh, wow. It's a big difference. That's why when a lightning strike occurs, you see it 
far sooner than you hear it because one's traveling at 300,000 kilometers oh, it's a new as kilometers, a second. Yeah. And that's why you count seconds and each second is a, a kilometer of sound. So you hear, you see it flash and you count one, two, three. Let's say it's three seconds and you hear the sound, it's three kilometers away. Ish. Hmm. Yeah. So 300 meters a second is sound. So that's traveling towards your right pinna at 300 meters a second. Gets into the ear, hits the eardrum. Now the eardrum, which is the tip. So just my point was... Every time I say tympanic well, membrane, you <laughs> bloody butt in. But my point was, because what? you're on my right hand side... I don't side, think you ever have a point to anything you say. The right hand, You're on my right hand side. <laughs> yeah. So your voice is going to hit my right tympanic membrane before my left. Yeah, you said that. But, uh, but I didn't finish my point before you banged oh, on about on. how speed of gravity and all that stuff. <laughs> um, therefore, my brain can determine that the sound is coming from the right-hand side of my body. Even though sound is projected bilaterally, you know which side it's coming from? Bilaterally. Mm. So, on, but in this, in this case, it's just coming from a one-person source. I'm saying that when sound comes into my right ear, doesn't it also project? It projects both to the left and right hemisphere. Yeah, but it's the processing it can determine because. Yeah, I, I was just being silly, but I was just saying that you know where it's coming from, even though that sound is still projected to both hemispheres yeah, of right. of the auditory cortex. Yeah. So its processing capacity is so good mm. that it can pick up just fractions of milliseconds different, and that way it can echolocate. What I think is amazing is the way that our brain has to pair light input and auditory input together so that things look like they make sense and, and are happening at the same time. We perceive things, you know, a fraction of a second after it happens visually and even more of a fraction of a second uh, when it oh comes yeah. auditory, right? Like when you uh, make, m make movies and they have that snap thing, you know, where they... Yes. And they have to align the vision and the sound together. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. That's why they do that. Take three, snap. Yeah. And that's to, yeah, align the vision and the mm. sound. All right. It hits the tympanic membrane, mm -hmm. which is your eardrum. So the tympanic membrane, like Matt was saying before, is like the covering of a drum. Would you agree? Yep. Uh, it's about 55 square millimeters. That's the size of this tympanic membrane. And this is the barrier that separates the external ear from the middle ear. Yep. You okay with that? Yeah, yeah. Now, the eardrum is not perpendicular to the canal, which means if, you were to, if I were to shrink down and walk through Matt's ear canal and get to the membrane, it's not like a wall that goes from floor to roof. Well, straight. it does go floor to roof Nine, in a straight degrees. way. It's not 90 degrees. It's actually at about 55-degree angle. Right. All right? With the top more towards me and the bottom. So, sloping... Uh, its bottom is sloping away. The bottom is sloping away. That's okay. right. At a 55 degree angle. So this means that when wax, earwax builds up and you go to your GP and you need to flush it away and most often you don't need to flush it away but you need to flush it away they'll usually syringe from the top and it should come in through the top and curve down and then come out the bottom. Right. Right? Alright. And I I'm led to believe if you pull the top of your pinea up, so up and away, that will straighten the ear canal, because it isn't. It's also not completely straight. It kind of deviates. Bend to it. Yeah. Now the other thing is that this is a bit of tissue, right? This eardrum, tympanic membrane, and it's innervated by a couple of nerves. 
There's three nerves that have branches that innervate the eardrum. You've got the vagus nerve, the glossopharyngeal nerve, and the facial nerve. And one more. And the trigeminal? Trigeminal. Maybe okay. it's less glossopharyngeal. Yeah. So, the reason why I'm telling you this, even though the implication f- when it comes to actually hearing at the drum is minimal, the fact that you've got some nerve fibers from each of these uh, facial nerve, vagus nerve, and glossopharyngeal, it's important clinically because of a couple of reasons. One reason... Matt's going to tell you, is sometimes if, if Matt came in to his GP to get his ear flushed and they syringe his ear, right, flush it with saline, it may trigger the vagus nerve, for example, which is there. Now, Matt, what does this mean? To stimulate the vagus nerve? Stimulate the vagus nerve by flushing your ear. Well, the vagus nerve is one of the big parasympathetic nerves, so it will probably stimulate a parasympathetic function which is rest and digest. Okay. So something around that. So what can happen is it can slow your heart rate down. Mm. Bradycardia. So you can get bradycardia if you have your ears flushed. Not always. Slow slow heart rate. Slow heart rate. It can actually slow so much that it can be an issue. How's that? Anything else can happen from stimulating the vagus nerve there, Matt? I think it's common in um, the elderly who may wear um, hearing aids. They can get, um, they can faint. So syncope. Okay, and the facial nerve, there's the facial nerve that's there. Uh, This is important because some people may get something called Bell's palsy. Mm. Bell's palsy is paralysis of the facial nerve, and this may mean that they may have auditory issues and can get something called hyperacusis, which means normal sounds sound quite loud to them, and it's because Mm. the eardrum isn't as tight as it should be. Why? Why? I don't know. Why? Is it because the facial nerve innervates the muscle that holds one of those bones on the other side of the membrane? Yes, that's right. Man, I'm good. What's that muscle called? Stapedius. Is it the stapedius that the facial innervates? Yep. Okay. So, that sound, I've spoken those words, the movement, the frequency through the atmosphere of that sound has hit your eardrum and it's deviated the eardrum it moves it a little bit now an interesting point is that 300 hertz which is normal speaking um, frequency not talking about the volume here just 300 hertz is enough to shift your eardrum the diameter of a hydrogen ion atom which is really difficult to get your head around really so hydrogen atom is 120 picometers in diameter okay which means that is that if you were to get a millimeter yep. and divide it into 10,000 equal pieces, one of those pieces wow. is the diameter of a hydrogen atom. And that's how far that eardrum can deviate from 3,000 hertz of sound. That is enough to transmit energy to the middle ear, which is the next part we're going to talk about. Yep. Now, the middle ear is made up of three bones, right? Do you want to mm-hmm. talk about the first bone? Yeah, so um, on the inside of the... So the eardrum on the outside has got skin all over it. And on the inside... Skin? So, yeah, skin on the outside. Skin. 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 And on the inside, it's so got epithelia. A, mu- a mucous membrane. All right, so epithelia. If you want to be specific. I do. <laughs> now, the ear canal is all skin. Now, uh, I guess... Epithelia. 
Yep. I guess the only thing you would add to it is you said wax. Wax is generally a, protect, a protective. Oh, yeah, sorry. Keep talking about wax. Yeah. Plays a protective role. So, with that said, you shouldn't remove that out of it because it has a very... Unless you have excessive buildup. Yeah. And so, talking to some of my um, general practice friends who are doctors in general practice or family medicine, they told me that um, the most common kind of ear complaint that I'll get in their surgery is um, too much wax buildup. Okay, particularly in the elderly, more more so in the elderly, um, and so normally the wax plays an important function to just protect the the uh, ear canal from infestations of bacterial fungus, mostly. Um, Do you know what it also does? It actually stops the skin, which you like to say, of the external ear from getting wet and breaking down. So in the canal, it's called mastication. Mastication is when tissue gets wet and starts to break down. Right. And so if you if you see, which I don't know why anyone would have, a body that has been in water for too long, right? I'm talking about a dead body. Yep. The tissue gets very white yep. and starts to break down. That's Flake mastication. Off. Mastication is also the term used to uh, create wine. <laughs> wow. Well. I think it's mastication. Anyway, so that's another reason why we have the earwax. Stops the inner ear from getting wet. Mm. And so people who, um, which are advised against clean their ears with you know, Q-tips or ear cleaners, what you can do because it's shaped like, it's got a kind of parabolic shape, you can actually push the wax further down. So it's advised that you don't do this because that can then... Um, Maceration, not mastication. It can prevent the, the displacement of that eardrum, which is something you don't want to... But the other thing it does, it can lead to uh, a condition called OTS externa, which is uh, colloquially known as swimmer's ear, mm-hmm. and that can um, cause a infection, generally bacterial, but can also be fungal, which can cause all sorts of problems and cause inflammation, not only to the canal, but to the drum, the eardrum, which is going to cause problem with hearing um, to a degree but also a lot of pain involved. All right. So, anyway, sorry. On the inside of the eardrum... Three bones. What's the first bone? So, the first one is the malleus, which means mallet, because it's shaped like a hammer. Yep. And so, it's got its head. It's kind of intimate with the the inside cone of the eardrum, because it's kind of like a funnely cone, um, and that kind of picks up the intimate response there, and then that will move... Now these is a synovial. These so these three bones have synovial joints, which um, are joints they articulate with each other with a bit of fluid between them. Um, it's so amazing because they're the smallest bones in the body. Yeah, so they're extremely small, but that the way that they move is they kind of I guess you'd say pivot on each other. Mm-hmm. So as the malus kind of deviates um, medially, so moves towards the cochlea, it actually causes the next bone which is the incus, to move in a way away. So, so the top end of it actually moves more laterally. And then that will articulate or join to the next bone, which is called the stapes, which is known colloquially as the stirrup. kind of looks a, look like a stirrup um, where you put your feet in uh, if you're riding a horse. So that shape. So, b- so basically you've got the eardrum, you've got the malleus, and the malice was looks like a, a hammer, yep. except coming off the handle of the hammer is another bone that comes off laterally, and that's in contact with the eardrum, right? Which bone? The lateral 
part of the hammer coming off, right? There's going to be... A, a oh, you mean the, so the, the, the part of the hammer that joins the ear, ear to the eardrum, yeah, and then it goes up and articulates with the incus, which yeah, so, is... Yeah, so, so the handle of the hammer yeah. is articulating in with the eardrum, right? right? And then when the eardrum moves, the handle moves. Yep. The handle of the hammer moves... And the and the hammer is touching the incus, so the incus mm. moves. Yep. When the incus moves, it touches the stapes, yep. and the stapes moves, yep. and the stapes, like you said, has a foot on it, and this foot of the stapes is attached to a little window. Mm. Now this window so this is, is the window into the inner ear, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, before we move into the inner ear, I guess the the, the important point is, without these three bones, so this is the important medium that is developed in all the animals that have moved in out of the water into the land or into the air this middle ear is the most important function of the ear to transfer air into water now if you didn't have this apparatus we would only hear like 0.1% of things because we wouldn't have any where near the amount of energy that we need to put into that over window which is the fluid now yeah, so this so these three bones are an amplifier. Yeah, that's right. With a big eardrum compared to the window of the oval window, which is the first part of the cochlea. So you have a big drum, the three bones, and now you can force a lot of uh, energy into this oval window. So basically the eardrum I said is 55 square millimetres, right? That's where the first bit of vibration happens. Goes to the malleus, goes to the incus, goes to the stapes, and the stapes has a foot that goes over another membrane, right? So the first membrane is 55 square millimetres. The membrane at the end here is 3.2 square millimetres. So what's that? That's around about 17 times difference mm. in size, right. which means what happens is that the force of energy multiplies 17 times, yeah. right? But in actual fact, because of the way the whole system works here, it multiplies that force by about 20 times. And so that's how the amplification works. If you hear a sound on the and the eardrum starts to vibrate, by the time it gets to the end of those three bones, it's amplified that force, hasn't amplified the frequency, same frequency, but mm -hmm. the force of the frequency has been amplified 20 times. Right. And what happens is, it's as though somebody starts punching on that little window, yeah. that 3.2 square millimeter window. But I don't want to leave the middle ear yet because we need to talk about a tube in the middle ear called the pharyngotympanic tube, used to be called the eustachian tube. Yep. What is that tube, Matt? So this is the uh, this tube that's basically connecting the middle ear to the back of your nose. So if you were to go in through your nose and keep going back, so if you're going to put your finger through your nostrils and keep going back. Yeah, I'm doing back, it. Back, back, yep. back, yep. back. And then you would hit that kind of tube there. So you've got two, two tubes either side, which is going to come in and they're the... Um, pharyngotympatic tubes or the eustachian tubes and they uh, play an important role to equalise the pressure that's in the middle ear. Well, I think it's important that all the air that's in the middle ear is coming from air from the nose via this pharyngotympanic yeah. tube. So whatever the pressure is in the outer atmosphere, that's going to be the pressure in the nose and that should therefore be the pressure in the middle ear because it's travelling yeah. through the pharyngotympanic tube. And because tube. of the pressure in the atmosphere. And the reason why that's important is because that means that on either side of the eardrum or the tympanic membrane, it should be the same pressure. And that's important because if the pressure is the same either side, the eardrum can vibrate nicely. Mm. But if there's increased pressure on either side, 
let's just say on the outside, let's just say the pressure's increased on the outside of the eardrum compared to the middle ear, that means the pressure's going to push on the eardrum and it's going to be concave inwards, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, this, have this concave bend to it inwards. Or if there's increased pressure in the middle ear compared to the outside, it's going to concave outwards. Yeah, and I right? think this is the most likely scenario of problems occurring. It's going to happen from the middle. So why would this happen? Well, there could be a number of things, but probably the most common one is in children. Mm. So in children, they have the tube just like adults, but around the tube, so that around the opening in the tube, because I, I guess where you have openings to the outside world um, to the, the, that goes into the body, you need to have some protective um, mechanisms in place to stop invasions from microorganisms. So in your mouth and your nose, uh, in other areas, you'll have tonsils. Yeah. Okay. Now, in the back of your nose, you have these tonsillar growths called adenoids. Yeah. Okay. Or sometimes they're called tubular tonsils or pharyn nasopharyngeal tonsils. Yeah. Um, they're all scattered all around this eustachian tube. Now, as infants, I guess w they are more prone to infections. So the... Um, couple the, of reasons the lymphatic the lymphatic tissue is more likely to be swollen yeah swollen up that means the end of the tube that's coming out into the nose is more likely the end is more likely reduced that that means that this the ability to equalize the pressure between the middle ear and the outside world is reduced and a couple other things is that they're smaller so the tube is shorter so there's a shorter pathway to go from the nose where there's a lot of bacteria to the inner ear where it's supposed to be sterile. Right. So it's easy for bacteria to traverse through that yeah. pathway. Other thing is that um, it's more narrow. I don't know if you said that. Right? So it's easy to be blocked. Uh, and it's more horizontal. Right. Right? So if, it was, if, if there was a, a downward slope to it into the nasopharynx, right, into the nose, it w would have to go uphill. Yeah. Right. So all these things together mean that kids are more likely to get infections coming from their nasopharynx through the pharyngotympanic tube into their middle ear. Mm. And what can happen is that this pharyngotympanic uh, tube gets blocked with mucus. And mucus pulls air in, right? So you end up creating a pressure difference from the middle ear to the external environment. And this pressure difference makes your ears, pushes on the eardrum, it means that it's, it feels like you've got a blocked ear. Yeah. That's the pressure difference. Yeah. So you feel like you need to equal it. That's why when you blow your nose, you tend to clear that pharyngotympanic tube. What happens? You equalize. Yeah. And so you feel fine. Same thing happens when you go in an airplane. The cabin is changing pressure. And if you've got a bit of a cold, well, that's... Makes it harder. The pharyngotympanic tube may be more likely to be blocked. Well, it's going to be harder yeah. to equalize. Yeah, that's right. So that, that's an important point. And so what can happen, so this is essentially going to be colloquially known as a glue ear yes. or otis media, which media means middle. Um, and so this could be an in a middle ear infection, which is problematic because what can happen there is um, a few things is the pressure pushes ag against the eardrum, which we spoke about, and it the, the concavity goes the opposite way. And so the ability to, for sound to go into the eardrum and then go through the, the bones is reduced. So their hearing would be less. Um, but the other issues is it can actually blow a hole in the tympanic membrane, which is called a... Which I may... Just, I which guess it's just called rupture. It may actually be helpful, though, for that to happen. Yeah. 
Because it means the infection can drain out. Drain out, right. And um, the membrane can heal. But the issue would be if that continues, so it happens, yes. you know, um, in children, like, like, you hear about people, con- or children constantly getting tonsillitis in the oral cavity. The same thing can uh, happen with recurrent bouts of um, middle ear infections or otis media. And if it continues, it can cause, like, adhesions on the... Um, eardrum or the tympanic membrane mm. which can make it much thicker and that's going to be very problematic and can lead to potentially conductive deafness which is something that you do you want to avoid now if you were to get recurrent bouts of the middle ear infection the ENT surgeon or the otolaryngologist or something like that they might put something called grommets into yep. your ear which is essentially little holes, little drains that allow, as you just said, allows the fluid to seep back out in the outside and that obviously you'd have to um, make sure you don't get your head underwater because that would put water in the middle ear, which is something you definitely don't want to be doing. Now, this this w- drainage isn't ear glue. What ear glue is is if you have a middle ear infection and your immune system attacks it quite well, kills it off, but you're left with this mucus buildup in the middle ear that ends up being quite a gluey substance and glues up an area that glues up those three bones glues up the uh, inside portion of the eardrum and that's the ear glue yeah. so it reduces here and so that's that's um yeah that's that ear glue we're talking about and it particularly if it happens in, with young infants and they have it continuously that can have a huge impact on them their language and learning capacities because they just can't hear yeah absolutely now before we move on to the inner ear, there's two muscles we need to talk about. Two very important muscles. Yeah. Do you want to mention them? Well, we mentioned one, the stapedius. So, the stapedius is a muscle that's attached to the stapes. Mm. And what it does is it basically keeps it tight, holds onto it, and reduces its vibration capacity. Which means that if certain sounds come in, it dampens that sound and you may loud sounds well that's the thing i was going to say you may ask the question why would i want to dampen sound but it's a reflexive muscle that when you hear loud sounds all of a sudden that it tenses up and protects your inner ear from any loud sounds that it may be propagated through these three bones right right? so that's one muscle the stapedius attached to the stapes so that's the very last bone there's another muscle and that muscle is called the tensor tympani. Tympani, yeah. Tympani? Was it tensor tympani? Mm. Like tensor tympani like is, is attached to the very first bone, which is the malleus. Yep. Right? And attaches to the handle there. And it does the same thing. It dampens mm. down the sound as well. And as you said, um, with Bell's palsy, which is a de-innovation or a problem with the facial nerve, it can stop that stapedius muscle which is going to cause problems. That's and right. So Can't dampen the sound. Yeah. It p- tra- travels through, and that's why you get that hyperacusis loud sounds. Now, interestingly, um, the first... W- once we once we developed these bones, so the first major bone that was developed from, from the fish was in the amphibians. Oh, God. It was the stapes. Who cares? No, this is very interesting. <laughs> was um, the stapes... Okay, now the stapedius muscle, which you mentioned, attaches to the the stapes bones. Uh, In the frogs or lizards, 
like salamander and... Yeah, we uh, know what frogs and lizards are. Go on. They have this <laughs> stapedius muscle that goes down to their scapula. Wait, okay, so wait a minute. Stapedius, okay, it's a muscle that attaches to the stapes, mm. but where's it coming from? It kind of comes, I think, in the posterior part of the... I'm not sure actually what it... For us, it actually attaches to, but it's. I think most of it is contained within the middle ear cavity. Yeah. But for because the stapedius is, or the, should I say, the stapes was the first bone that kind of came into play in the middle ear for the the animals that are migrating out of the out of the water. Frogs in particular had this stapedius muscle that goes all the way down with the help of Another muscle called levator scapula. Scapula will tell you it's going to the scapula, which is the shoulder blade. Levatus means to raise. Yeah, it goes down to the scapula, which now articulates into the pectoral girdle. So frogs can now hear through their hands or their front feet. So that means that when their hands are on the ground, for example, yeah. and something moves or vibrates, it travels through the bones of the hand, up the limb, through the scapula, into the stapedius, mm. which then permits that vibration to travel through the stapes, yeah. which then takes it to the inner ear. Beautiful. Well wow. done. Because the other aspect of the frog is they don't have it. Their eardrum is essentially their skin, the outer body. So oh, that they crazy. don't have this inner canal. They just have their body. There. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so, so that's so instead of having the, the malleus and the incus and then the stapes, they've just got the, their skin and their body and then the stapes. Yeah. And then, and the then it goes ear. to the cochlea. Yeah. Crazy. That's right. All right. So we said that the stapes has a foot. Just like the way I like to picture it is it's like a, a hand or a foot that's against a window. Yep. Now, this window, if you look through it, it's called an oval window because it's oval in shape. If you look through it's it... It's like play school. You see, look through the oval window and what do you see? A bunch of water, right? You see a bunch of liquid and that's the inner ear. Now, the thing is this. That window, you can push in and pull out. Yep. Push in, pull out, push in, pull out. Now, the water that's on the other side in the inner ear, on the other side of that membrane, uh, on the other side of that window, there's no gaps. There's no air gaps at all. It's all fluid. Right. And we know that fluid is incompressible, right? right? So that what that means is if you had fluid in a water in a cup, and you would put a, a syringe in it and syringe down, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. going to move anywhere. Water can't not move, much right? It doesn't yeah. compress, which means if you push in that oval window, the water has to go somewhere because it's not going to compress. And what happens is when you push in, there's actually what looks like a snail's shell in there called a cochlea, mm -hmm. which curls and curls and curls and curls like a snail's shell and then curls back to very close to that oval window called the round window. Okay, so that's just below the oval window. Just below but the still, oval window. Still in the middle ear. Still in the middle ear. But one and window so is above the other. So if you push the oval window, it pushes on the water, the water pushes all the way through this little curled up cochlear structure like a snail shell, yep. comes back and the water pushes on this round window, which is below the oval window, and pushes back. Right. You push forward on the oval, pushes back on the round. You pull the oval, it pushes forward on the round. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because the water has to go somewhere. So that's important. The round window plays a very important role because if it wasn't there and it was just bone and you only had that one window... 
as you said, if you just press that in, it wouldn't be able to be compressed. Yes. Therefore, you wouldn't be able to transmit any energy into that fluid. And that's what's happening, is that when you hit the eardrum and it vibrates, it, it, it turns um, acoustic information from the air into mechanical information that's coming through the three bones. The stapedius punches the window. Yep. It then changes this mechanical energy through the bones into a, uh, a bit of energy that's traveling through water now. So just like dropping, like you said before, a pebble in water, it's punched the window and now you've got water vibrations traveling through. Mm. And these water vibrations travel all the way through this curled up cochlea all the way to the other end to the oval window. Round. Round window. Mm. Sorry. Perfect. Now it's okay. kinda, so it's kind of like a racetrack, but in one direction. You have to go all the way in, around the corner, and back out, and then it exits the, um, the round window. Yes. All right. What else is in this cochlea? Well, there's the separation point. So, like, if you went in the oval window, you went all the way around the snail shell, and then you had to go around a little corner and come out the other end. It's got a, kind of like a ribbon, like this little lap-like structure that separates the two pathways. Now, that is what like... What pathways? Which so pathways? You got one way in, one way out, right? So yeah, but they're connected. They're connected, right? Now, so basically, I guess it was an, an initially a big, long tube, that, but f as we've developed, this tube has started to curl on itself, and that's why it looks like a snail shell. Mm. It's but really hard to explain, It's very it? hard to explain. Um, but it's just, the best way I can explain it is it's almost like a racetrack. Now, the, the, the part that separates the two lanes is just this ribbon-like structure, which is another membrane. And as you put the vibrations in the fluid, this membrane can get displaced. Okay. And this is where, if you remember back to those lateral line fissure things, mm, yeah, which we, we all tried to forget this about. This is all the bowls of jelly and... The same thing kind of happens in here. They have all these little tiny hairs still. Attached to the ribbon? Attached to the ribbon. So it's not so much jelly as much anymore. Um, and that gives you that mechanical sense of displacement. Which so you're saying that, uh, let me try and see if I can get this right. You've got a tube which is filled with fluid. Yep. Now let's think about, even though we said the tube's curled like a snail shell, let's say we unwind that tube so it's straight. Now, it's not actually going to be straight. It's going to be a U-bend, right? Because it's going to start at the oval window, come out, and U-bend back around to the round window that's just underneath it. Right. So you've got like a horseshoe shape, and that's all filled with fluid. And then you've said that within that fluid, you basically got a ribbon that goes from the start, where the oval window is, down to where the round window is. Yeah. And that ribbon's just embedded in that fluid. Yeah, and separates kind of the into two tunnels in, in a way. And then attached to that ribbon you've got some hair cells. And so when you punch the oval window and it vibrates the fluid, that fluid vibration goes through the ribbon and the ribbon moves the hair cells. Yeah, right. Okay, and it's the movement of these hair cells that turn this vibrational energy in the fluid into electrical energy, right? Yeah. How does it do that? Well, going back, as we said at the start, you've got these little hair projections, the little villi, okay? They've got... Uh, at the end of them, they've got ion channels. So they've got channels to allow um, charged molecules into them. Mm -hmm. And when they are pushed... Or out of them? When they are pushed on, these ion channels open. 
okay, and certain ions can go in or out, so that's going to cause a depolarization or a hyperpolarization. So it's either going to make it more positive or more negative, and depending on where along that big long ribbon it happens, will determine which hair cells are activated and once you put the ions into that those cells hair cells it's got an attached neuron to it which is going to stimulate that neuron as we know once you've got a neuron stimulated it's essentially now electricity so this is depolarization or hyperpolarization is going to happen so when you shift the hair cells in one direction the yep. channel's open yep and so that will depolarize well, you shift the cell, the hair cells in one direction, the channel's open, and the positive potassium comes in and depolarizes it. Right. That then creates an action potential, sends a signal. If you push the hairs in the opposite direction, the channels close, mm. no potassium comes in, and it stays polarized, actually becomes hyperpolarized, no signal gets sent. So we need to move those hairs in a particular direction to open the channels in order for sound to be uh, yep. changed into electrical energy. Perceived. And so, yeah. or you go. Well, I just wanted to say that along this cochlea, along this snail-like shell, at the very beginning, which is the basal, the base of it, all the way up to the top, which is the apex, the pointy end, right? You're going to have these hair cells. There's about 3,500 of these hair cells along this area. And it picks up different frequencies all the way along. So, for example, my wife talks with a high frequency. Most women do, mm. because that's just how they're made. And high frequency gets picked up early on at the basal basal side, at the basal part, right? right? Yep, yep. At the base of the shell. Then at the very apex of the shell, that's where low frequencies are picked up. So that's where you do the U-turn. That's right. Yeah. Now what that means is, depending on the frequency that's coming in, that frequency travels... Doesn't matter what the frequency, let's say it's 3000 hertz, it travels through the length of the entire shell, yeah. but only certain hair cells will pick it up. And those hertz, certain hair cells will then say, oh, I know this is 3000 hertz, I'm going to turn this into electrical signal on the cochlear nerve, which goes to the brain, and my brain knows what 3000 hertz sounds like yeah. as a frequency. But if that hertz changes, that frequency changes, then different cells pick it up talks to a different part of the cochlear nerve, which talks to a different part of the brain that yeah. knows what that frequency sounds like. Does right. that sound okay? Yeah, yeah. Does that frequency sound fine with you? More or less. All right. At the basal side, at the base of this shell, yeah. where it picks up high frequencies, these hair cells are the ones that are like more likely to die first. What kills them? Oh, just does hatred. That mean, <laughs> does that mean we might get exposed to more high-pitched sounds over time to, to knock these ones off? Or you're just not, not sure? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure why, why it's the case. I mean, I think that... What's this condition called? Well, the condition, if it happens due to old age, yeah. which is the most common cause of deafness, so the most common reason why these hair cells are getting knocked off, especially in this higher frequency range, so you start to lose higher pitches as yeah. you get older and older. Actually, after the age of eight... You start to lose higher pitches all the way up to 80 and 90. You really start to lose them. Um, that's called presbycusis. So we did that last week. We did presbyoptics, didn't we? Op op old eyes. Uh, yeah, old and eyes. And presbycusis means old ears yeah. or old hearing. 
which means the older you get, the worse your hearing gets. That's the most common cause of deafness. Now, that is a neural cause of deafness, right? Mm. You can have conductive causes and neural causes. Conductive is outer ear and middle ear, because that's all conduction. But neural is referring to the fact it talks to the nervous system, which is the cochlear nerve here. And that's what these dying off cells are going to be neural form of deafness. Right, so the neurosensory form of de de deafness could be either the the hair cells themselves or the Sorry, or yeah, the it's called sensory neural. Yeah. Yeah, so you're right. Uh, yeah, so these sensory cells or the, or the nervous system. So the yeah. cochlear could be damaged. And we should say that actually all these hair cells in the cochlear are actually known as the organ of corti. That's right. So they're the collective term for all the little hairs along the length of the cochlea, which is the, the, the organ of corti. 3,500 of them. Right. So, and you said that at the base, that's those hair cells are the first to be potentially damaged, yes. which will lose the high pitch, but you're less likely to lose the ones at the apex or the ones near the U-turn, That's right. which is more lower frequency. Now... What kind of things can go wrong in this system? Or like what kind of conditions, okay. common conditions might you... Uh, probably one of the most common, or I wouldn't say most common, it is relatively common, is tinnitus. So this is... Tinnitus? Uh, tinnitus, tinnitus. How is it pronounced, Matt? No. It doesn't matter, who cares? Tinnitus. Tin, tinny, tinnitus. Mm, maybe. Anyway. It is a ringing in the ear that's being ca that's not caused by uh, an external agent, right? Okay. So nothing nothing noticeable is causing this ringing, is right. what I'm saying. And it may not necessarily just be ringing. It could be buzzing. It could be humming. It could be uh, roaring. It could be hissing. So this is all uh, tinnitus or tinnitus. The cause of it, many different causes. So the cause itself, for example, I mean, do you know any particular causes of tinnitus? A couple. Okay. Well, name one. Um, you can get it from oto. Oto usually means ear. Ototoxic drugs, okay. medications. So a big one are the antibiotics that end with myosin. So uh, streptomycin, um, erythromycin, usually the gentamicin, uh, aminoglycosides too. Vancomycin. So these um, have a toxic property to the hair cells. True. And they can cause um, this kind of damage, which then can lead to the ongoing ringing. Um, also, some chemotherapy drugs, like platinum-based drugs, can mm -hmm. do it. So, that's the drugs. So, there's a, okay, so there's a, you can have a look. So, if, if you were to classify tinnitus into objective and subjective tinnitus, what that means is this. Objective tinnitus means that I tell you I've got a ringing in my ears. Mm. You can look as an observer and you can see what's causing the ringing in my ears. Right? right. So you can How have a look mean? in. So you could have a look in and you could see that, for example, um, it's... Or you, or you could measure what's causing the ringing in my ears. For example, it may just be blood flow that I'm hearing reverberating. It could be I joint I get, movement. I get that occasionally when I've got... Um, I've exercised or something. Because Hear your heartbeat? Yeah, because, you? because your internal carotid artery runs just on the back of the, your middle ear, it's really close to it. Mm. And so you can, sometimes you get your pulse up really high and then you kind of sit down and then in a quiet room you can hear it 
kind of shushing. Well, when you when you put a seashell to your ear and you hear the ocean, you're just hearing b- your own blood flow. Is that all you're hearing? <laughs> yeah. Not the echo in the... No, you're hearing your own blood flow going past your ear. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And so, that's this objective. So, there's objective means that an observer, an observer could measure what's causing the tinnitus. Could be your joints, could be muscular, could be blood flow, right? Oh, wow. Subjective tinnitus is that I've got tinnitus and I'm telling you... I've got ringing in my ears and you have no idea. Yeah. What, you can't measure what's causing it. And this is probably the most common, yep. right, is this subjective tinnitus. And, and so it could be noise-induced, right? Yep. So you could be having your headphones in your ears at too loud for too long. Which is a big problem now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So noise-induced. It could be due to presbycusis, so just old age. Killing off the hair cells could cause tinnitus. Um, there's something called a somatic type. And this may be due to TMJ dysfunctions. So temporal mandibular joint problems. So do you know how that could lead to tinnitus? Nerve irritation? Could be nerve irritation. I think it could just be due to being just not in a good way, not in the right place. I don't know. I don't know how that could cause it, to be honest. You could have something called typewriter tinnitus, and that's where you actually hear these staccato-like sounds as the tinnitus. And they seem to be treated well with um, carbamazepine. So it could be a vascular issue. Okay. So what I'm saying is that there's a whole bunch of causes. A lot of them are unknown. <laughs> and I read just recently that it has a strong parallel mechanistic kind of um, root cause, I guess, to like neuropathic or chronic pain. I think it's it works via the same feedback system. Yeah. So which is sensitization. So you so when you have chronic pain, you get a uh, a reorganization of your central nervous system which reinforces a patterned input. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that patterned input getting reorganized just keeps getting amplified Amplifies and amplified it, and yeah. amplified. And the same thing happens. You get reorganization of the auditory cortex, which amplifies a sound that isn't there. Right. And that can be one cause of subjective tinnitus. Yeah. Um, so what you need to do, or what has been recommended to be d- that can be done, is help reorganize that central nervous system again by, you know... Uh, CBT. Maybe. Yeah. Because my understanding was, so when we're talking like this, um, we... This helps. Part of our brain, or actually all our brain, is put basically a pattern recognizer, right? It's basically trying to put stimulus into patterns. And into context. So it is putting less work on its job, Mm. essentially. So all of our auditory stimulus is going to an auditory cortex. And it's learnt... Which is in your temporal lobe, just behind your ears. And so it's learnt patterns of sentences and so forth. So when I'm talking to you and I'm like, you know, Mike... um, I on the weekend I went out and went to the cafe and I had um, banana bread and coffee. Mm. You could be almost doing other things whilst I'm telling you this because your brain's already got a pattern of what it's expecting me to say. But if I say, you know, Mike, I went to the cafe and I um, had a banana bread and punched the llama and or or yeah sat with an elephant yeah you would kind of go huh? and so trigger something it would then have to send 
this kind of sensory input to another part of your brain at a higher order part yeah. to start to make sense. What is that? What yeah. the hell is what that? What the hell is he talking about? Um, and so what happens, my understanding, what happens with tinnitus is it's constantly going to a, a different region of your brain is and it's putting a focus on it mm. and continually to amplify it and amplify it and amplify it until it's almost become, this is a dominant kind mm. of pathway system. And then of a kind of a dysfunctional noise becomes completely all the there all the time and That's so right. it can cause many problems so all the way to you know um, high depression because it, imagine like you having roaring when you're trying to get to sleep well and, no. you, and you've got like a a highway in your head yeah and it's not like you can put people go oh put earplugs well it's not coming out outside that's right. that's right it's in your head yeah so and paradoxically one way to help it is to treat it with sound <laughs> mm. so environmental enrichment with sound so that's not excessive sounds that's not go to a concert that means you know conversational sounds a fan in the background maybe i sleep with a f- fan in the background yeah my wife thought i was nuts well she thinks i'm nuts in many ways <laughs> but she thought i was nuts because i sleep with the fan on yeah um I'm not sure why. I think it was a, a childhood thing. Yeah. And um, even through winter. Really? And oh, she must hate you. Yeah. She sleeps with a doona in summer. Jesus. <laughs> and so with my fan in winter. She must hate you. Anyway, so she looked it up because she thought I had some problem. Mm. But then so you can't sleep without it? No, I can, but I do. Just have a blankie <laughs> and a nightlight? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just n- white noise. Yeah. So it's just a kind of a pleasant white noise that mm. can kind of uh, allow you to focus on something. Well, that's an interesting point. When you go to sleep, your ability to hear doesn't turn off. Mm. Again, your sound gets redirected. Mm. Your sound actually goes to the. Does it go to the reticular formation? Well, that, that's kind of the a conscious type center that that kind of puts focus on things. So. I'm not sure if it goes there or that just becomes more active and turns mm. pathways down or di- yeah. dies them down. So it's still there because you can be woken up by sounds, right? Mm-hmm. And those sound ah, that's when those loud sounds activate the reticular like formation. Like your snoring. Like my snoring. Activates reticular formation which talks directly to the limbic system which initiates emotion, talks to the amygdala, makes you hyper aware and then feeds through to the whole bloody system and you're freaking out and you can't go back to sleep. Yeah. All right. How are we going? Are we done? I think a lot of it. Well, well, we haven't just spoken about just other things. Just a few of the sound ones that can cause deafness oh, yeah. and tinnitus. Yeah. So, um, something that's a more of a modern phenomenon is that younger people, well, I guess, you know, young to middle age now. Um, Our age? Yeah. So, what are we? Wise 52? To millennials kind of generation? Yeah, I don't know. Um, we've grown up with the iPod generations mm-hmm. so we've basically got these earplugs and when we're in our 80s we'll be part of the iPod generation that are <laughs> that are funneling high amounts of sound into our eardrum mm. or ear canal mm. so for some people it's like having a rock concert right in your head eight hours a day yeah and so what that does two things so two types of potential deafness or problems to the cochlea from too much sound, which probably traditionally was known as industrial deafness. Yeah, um, not isn't really called that anymore. No, though. it's not. Um, but I had a look, and there's uh, can't, there's no references to industrial def- 
deafness since the 50s. The only time it's referenced is in legal matters. <laughs> okay. If you've got a case for industrial deafness. So, well, traditionally that would have been, you know, you're in a workplace where you've got real loud toy, uh, t- toys. Real loud... Um, uh, now I've lost it. <laughs> what are you what talking is, about? What are they toys? Uh, like <laughs> drills and what is, what is that? It's a big boy's toys. <laughs> I'm not sure where I got tr- toys from. Um, machinery? Yeah, machinery. So big loud machinery. I'm not sure why I, why toys came in. That's something with my auditory cortex. Um, <laughs> I think you're going back to childhood. And like so drills and compressors and all sorts of things like that. Real loud sounds over time can cause... Um, this kind of damage, but I guess with the younger generation, it's more to do with the ear, ear f- microphones and so th- mm. earplugs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But another big, another big area of that ear damage is um, the military. So oh, guns, gun firing, and all those kind of loud bombs and so forth. Now, there's the two main types of deafness that can result from too much sound can be, you know, kind of a one-off, really loud one. So if you were to have a bomb or a cracker or something go off right next to your ear, that can actually put so much force into your into your head, mm-hmm. it can actually cause structural displacement and structural Jesus. Um, morphological changes to your cochlea and the membrane. Wow. So that could cause a one-off structural change. But the other one, they used to think it was kind of like a shearing effect on the um, hair cells. So if you just listen to your iPod eight hours a day on high know death metal or something like that it can s- slowly over time you can lose your hearing mm. and they thought it was kind of a shearing effect on those little hair cells but what i think the more modern research is suggesting that it's causing molecular or maybe not molecular maybe um metabolic me- metabolic yeah changes in in your cochlea mm. which can have a detrimental uh, effect on which the then kills the cells because if you've got metabolic issues the cells will die off yeah and so if you think of it like what actually hap- what actually can happen is you can sorry to interrupt um, it can restrict vascular blood supply to those cells which alters the metabolism of the cells which then kills the cells yeah so kind of like if you exercise vigorously like really really push yourself you can get certain byproducts produced from your muscles, metabolic byproducts that can go t- throughout your body and cause like kidney failure wow. or certain dysfunction to the muscles like mm. rhabdomyosis yeah. or certain levels of creatinine. Um, so maybe think of it like that, that if you kind of bombard your um, hair cells through excessive sound for long periods of time, those me- metabolic changes can actually cause damage and then death, death to the death, <laughs> which will lead with lead to death. Yeah, death, deafness, death till, <laughs> death till deafness. Um, to the organ accordion, and then you'll lose your hearing slowly over time. Cool. Yeah. Oh, oh we didn't talk about cochlear implants. Well, I guess n- now you go to the therapeutic. So, what kind of things can we do for? These issues. So we've spoken Cochlear about kind of therapeutics, <laughs> therapeutics for tinnitus. Yeah. Did we? Yeah, we just spoke about cognitive therapies and sound, sound therapy. Well, actually, one of the best therapies available for tinnitus is a cochlear implant. Okay. Uh, it's shown to reduce in eighty percent of individuals and also fully mitigate tinnitus in a number 
of individuals who had a cochlear implant. However, there's some studies that have demonstrated that it has induced tinnitus in a number of people who mm. never had it. <laughs> okay. But it is quite a good treatment. Other treatments have been like antioxidant treatments because they're saying that, again, that same reason that you said, metabolic damage to the stereocilia, the hair cells, um, leads to oxidative stress killing off the cells and that antioxidants like vitamin E and um, things like that can reduce the killing off of the hair cells. Okay. But there's not much efficacy there. Like yeah. they, they did this big meta-analysis on ginkgo biloba. Doesn't work. Anyway. That, that's supposed to give you a better blood flow too, right? Something ginkgo. like that. Cochlear implant. We'll start with a hearing aid. Okay. okay. Hearing, oh, hearing aid's easy. Hearing aid is a is a um, electronic device that you put into the ear, and what it does is at least the most recent ones, it picks up sound, certain frequencies of sound. Yeah. So not back in the day, the the earliest hearing aid was a big cone that they used to stick in their ear and go what, and that massive cone that used to come out looks like the top of an old uh, record player. So that was the first hearing aid, but that picked everything up, right? But now we've got hearing aids which are electronic and it picks up certain frequencies. So it basically reduces background noise and amplifies yeah. uh, sound within speaking ranges, for example. Right? And it can apparently work, the, the new ones work off your smartphones. And God, they can yeah. um, kind of put preferences in so they've, they know the kind of voices. different environments. Oh, and wow. And they can kind of then just jump straight to it without you having to program it. Oh, that's cool. So what it simply ampli- it takes that sound, picks it up, amplifies it, and just throws it into your outer ear, and then that amplified sound then gets. So this is like a microphone, and, uh, then, and then an, another. A microphone, then an amplifier. Yeah. Yep. And then it, it just throws that signal, and then you've got to use your normal auditory pathways okay. to hear that sound. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't help once the hair cells have died off, right? So if you've got an issue where the hair cells have died off. Or those, or there's a problem with the fluid within your cochlea, or there's a cochlear issue, one way or another. Mm-hmm. But the nerve is intact right. that picks up the, the auditory signal, nerve. The auditory nerve. What you can do is you can implant. You can put a little hole in that round window, the yeah. one at the bottom, yeah. and embed in there a, a line of electrodes, like you know Christmas lights that you put on a Christmas tree. How there's one wire with all these little lights coming off. So you've got this wire that's got all these electrodes coming off and these electrodes stimulate parts of the basilar membrane that's attached to the hair cells. Right? Do they go to the base or just go straight to the nerve? Well, it's right next to the basilar membrane okay. because the basilar membrane is what's going to, from the um, stereocilia, is going to stimulate the cochlear nerve. Okay. So it's, it goes to the cochlear nerve right near the basilar membrane and it knows that which of the hair cells pick up what frequency and where it innovates to the cochlear nerve. So basically, when you hear a sound, it comes in through the microphone of the cochlear implant, which you can see on the on the individual yeah, yeah. who has the implant. So kind of above the ear. Above the ear. It comes in. It gets transduced into a subcutaneous transducer. Yeah, yeah. That then gets sent to the electrodes. Mm. And the electrodes send an electrical signal to the cochlear nerve yep. in a particular frequency that it's just encoded. Okay. And then that goes to the brain and you can actually hear voices as normal. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so it, w- it would probably require... It's the first neuroprosthesis. Well, yeah, I guess it would. Hmm. And it's probably, from my understanding, is it's more... Um, 
efficacious in children, but I guess because they are still they have a greater plasticity of the brain. Yeah. Um, but as you said, you know, it's it's incumbent on more of a um, cochlear problem rather than a nerve problem. So if there was yeah. a, a nerve dysfunction, um, it probably wouldn't be not too much a, you can do. Not much you can do. Yeah. And yeah. so any anywhere where people are born deaf, like congenitally. So they've had rubella, 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 rubella. So germ, germ measles or some kind of deficit, um, possibly in utero or early childhood, they can be candidate for this. And sure. so the two types of deafness is essentially conductive and sensorineurological. Yep. And so one of the tests that they can do is they get these um, a tuning fork, and if you bang it so it starts vibrating yep. and if you put it next to their ear they can't hear it um, but then you put the foot of the tuning fork on the mastoid which is the bone behind your ear yep. and if you can hear it or through the bone um, then that's going to be a conductive des- deafness so that's an important point if in a normal person if you were to do this tuning fork hearing test right you bang the tuning fork on the table it vibrates you can feel that vibration in your hand you first put the foot of it on that um, mastoid bone. Was it the mastoid bone? Did you say? Yeah, mastoid. The mastoid bone, yep. and you'll feel and he- you'll feel the vibration, and you'll hear the sound through that bone. Mm. Because again, that bone's going to conduct the um, vibration, the vibration th- through your system, through your auditory system, the ossicular system, which are those three bones, and then through to the cochlea. And then you m- remove the tuning fork and you put it next to the ear, and your ear, without it attached to the bone the tuning fork attached to the bone, that is, should be able to hear it at least twice as loud, right? If you don't, then like you said, that is an, uh, an indication that there's a conductive issue, yeah. right? Because the bone is going to conduct it all the way through to the cochlea for you. Yeah, that's right. So it could be a membrane problem, it could be an ossicle problem, a middle ear issue, anything say full of wax or an infection or the bones are... Um, potentially ossified yep. or the membrane has got too many adhesions on it. You can have something called otosclerosis. The sclerosis is a bit of a misnomer, but it's just this bony formation, like you were saying, around the eardrum. stops the eardrum from being able to vibrate properly and can cause deafness. All right. Uh, are we done? That's a lot covered. That's a fair bit, Did isn't we it? miss anything? I'm sure we missed a lot. We didn't talk about the neural pathway from the cochlear nerve. We didn't talk about the uh, vestibular pathway either, but... We can do that another time. The stibula is right next door. It's all about balance. The oh, end. Yeah, I think we'll... Um, we'll leave that for another it's time. A bi- it's a big... Another task, I think. I think so. What is it? One hour, 24 minutes. All right. Hopefully this was enjoyable. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five out of five stars. If you don't want to give us five out of five stars, then don't bother giving us a review at all. Give us some kind words as well on iTunes. That makes me feel happy. Mike likes feedback comments. I like feedback comments. We have a YouTube channel where we have a lot of feedback comments. Uh, we record videos on all these topics, but in nice bite-sized pieces for about 15 minutes at a time on pretty much everything you can think of in regards to anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, and pharmacology. We have a Facebook page. Just go to Facebook, type in Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast, and we'll pop up. Please join us, like us, follow us, have conversations with us. Sounds wonderful. Tell us what you want us to do a video, uh, a video or a podcast on. 
We've had a couple of people tell us they want us to do inflammation, that's one, and a couple of people tell us they want us to do immunology, which I think may be a couple of episodes, maybe, depending what we look at. But let us know what you want. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful time, <laughs> whatever you're doing, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.